Let's get into class. Gospel of Luke. The basic PowerPoint at the start of class is the same as last week. So it's a little bit of a refresher because I'm dealing with the passages I did not get to last week. And would you elbow your son and tell him I'm glad he's here this morning? Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, personal joke. Um, so here's the theme that we've been looking at in Luke. God is setting about reversing the world. And that's a good thing. The world on its own is not headed in a good direction. We see that everywhere. We can see that the world on its own is a world at war. The world on its own is a world where those with power get more. Those who are outcasts get less. The world on its own would be a world where the defenseless have no one rising up to defend them. And God has set about saying, that is not the world as it should be. And Jesus says, I'm coming here to begin the work of reversing the world and making it what it ought to be. Now, ultimately, the promise of Jesus is the world and its people are so sick, he can't just get it better and better until finally it's perfect. Ultimately, it will be washed away and new will be created. But even until that day, he is setting about his work, trying to get things better than they are today. That's the work of what he's about. And so when we see this great reversal occurring in the world at the hands of God, we not only should not be surprised about it, but we should, as his people, be joining forces with him. Because God has a great concern for making things right or better. And we can witness that with his great concern for the outsiders that Luke speaks of in his gospel. So, outsiders in the gospel of Luke. There we go. Whoops. Outsiders in the gospel of Luke become, what was it? Insiders. That's right. The outsiders become insiders and take center stage. So the way we set this up last week is the same three-step process we're going to use today. The first step is we're going to look at these women passages that we didn't get to last week. And then the second step, we're going to challenge ourselves using one passage in particular to, to look at how we are handling things today. And then we'll have our points for home, Dale Hearn, and we'll go on home from here. Um, uh, uh, by the way, it looked like Dale might have COVID, but he feels pretty confident he doesn't. So y'all sitting around him, uh, know that, uh, Dale, Dale's fairly confident. What? 60, 70% certain he doesn't have COVID. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that's just the way I heard it. So let's look at the women passages. Now there are five sections of Luke that have unique passages and unique things to say about women. We talked about these, uh, I set them out last week. The first one, Luke 7, 11 through 8, 3, actually is a set of passages. And we looked at those last week. Luke 10, 38 through 42 is the second, 11, 27, 28. 
chapter 13, chapter 23. So my goal is to try to get through those last four sections today. And that means we're going to not start there. Yeah, we start there. Scoot over. All right. So with that, let's get to our first passage. Here in the Gospel of Luke, we put it up here and it begins. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This word welcomed him is, is a, a hupodecomai. Yeah, here it is. Is a, a, a formal word. She formally welcomed him into her house. Now you may not realize this, but this is a bit odd. The reason it's a bit odd is because within the Jewish culture and lifestyle, generally a woman would not have a house. And a woman would not be in a position to formally welcome him into her house. So scholars try to figure this out, and some scholars say she must have been a widow who had the house uh, that was her husband's house, and so she had it uh, uh, as she continued it uh, and continued to live there. Uh, we don't know the answer to it, but it is an oddity that you wouldn't necessarily find in the Greco-Roman world. It wouldn't be as odd uh, if this were happening up in Greece, but it's happening in, in, in Israel, and it's an odd occurrence. So keep looking at it. Um, you've got this oddity. And she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, if the fact that Martha has a house is odd, what we just read is really odd. It is bizarre. Let me give you some contemporary flavor for how Israel, how some of Israel saw things. Not all, but some. Here's Rabbi Akiva. Actually, we have no clue what Rabbi Akiva looked like. I just thought that kind of looked like an old rabbi. So I threw it up there. I'm going to be quoting several old Jewish rabbis. They all look like this. Who'd have thought? In Pisgah 46, from the words of Sifra, teach them, and he's quoting the Deuteronomy passage here, teach them the Torah to your sons. Teach the law to your sons. And, and it's the word sons in Deuteronomy 11:19. And Rabbi Akiva says, it says your sons, but not your daughters. You don't teach the Torah to your daughters. Now that's not to say that women weren't responsible for teaching their daughters certain aspects of Torah regulation that women were supposed to follow. But general study of the Torah? No. Now, here's Rabbi Eliezer, which does look a lot like Rabbi Akiva. (laughs) They, they, they were not twins. They just, Rabbi Eliezer says, anyone who teaches his daughter Torah 
is teaching her promiscuity. The Gemara asks, could it enter your mind to say that teaching one's daughter Torah is actually teaching her promiscuity? Rather, say it's considered as if he taught her promiscuity. Because otherwise it implies the Torah is promiscuous and the Torah itself is not. So that's the Gemara's debate with Rabbi Eliezer. But the bottom line is, don't teach your daughters Torah. Don't teach them. It, 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 it is, um, it's, it's not something they need to know or do in their life. Now, goes on to say, women's wisdom is solely in the spindle. The words of the Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to women. So Martha is in the kitchen doing her spindle stuff while Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord who's teaching Torah. Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? She's in there with the men. To serve alone? Tell her to help me. Now, if you look at this carefully, Martha was distracted. This word distracted, perispao, it means to, to be pulled. That at its root, that's the idea, being pulled. And it's, it's, and she's distracted with much. So she's being pulled in all these directions at once. That's the picture image that you'd have if you were reading this in the Greek. So Martha's being pulled in all these directions serving at once. It's, it's with much serving. Uh, that word much, polis, means excessive, lots can mean many as well but it's this idea of just she's being pulled everywhere trying to get it all done and so she goes to Jesus and she says Lord do you care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her to help me and you can see over and over these me 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 you know she went up and said Lord do you not care my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. I love the humanness of this story. Just, I'm all by myself. I'm all alone. Greek word monos. We get mono from it. <laughs> Not like mononucleosis. Actually, yeah, mononucleosis is a disease. It's the same thing, mono. But, you know, like mono a mono, one-on-one, or mono versus stereo, one speaker, monos, alone. She's Now, do you think Jesus had a sign around his neck that said, complaints department, enter here? He's in there trying to teach. 
And Martha says, can I have a word? I'm sorry to interrupt the teaching, but do you realize my sister's abandoned me? And she's in there with all the men and you learning Torah. And I'm having to do all of this stuff. It's all, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm having to do all of this. And then look what little passive aggressive Martha throws in as a little bomb. Don't let this one pass without seeing it. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? What about me? Don't you care, Jesus, that I'm all by myself having to do this? I mean, so now this is Jesus' fault? So Jesus is having a teaching moment. And Martha has done the wonderful thing of inviting him into her home with his disciples so that he could teach and he'd have a wonderful place to do it. And that hospitality and that service is a marvelous thing. And in the midst of it, her sister is in there where she probably doesn't belong, so Martha thinks, while Martha's having to do everything all by herself. And Jesus just seems content with it all and is just blindly teaching. Doesn't he care? Doesn't he realize what her sister has done to her? She never would have invited Jesus and all those people in there if her sister wasn't going to help her. She's only one person. Oh, (laughs) sure, it's all Jesus' fault. Um, But the Lord answered her. And he said, Martha... Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary's chosen the good portion, and it's not going to be taken from her. Now, hold on. I'm not liking the way that's going up there. There. We've had Jesus in the story up to this point, as Luke narrates it, save when Martha called him Lord. But Luke shifts from Jesus to Lord. The Lord said to her, this is authority Jesus. I mean, he's always authority Jesus, but Luke's emphasizing the authority here. Martha, Martha. And I just love that. He's being kind and gentle with whiny pants, Martha. He's being kind and gentle. Martha, Martha. You are anxious. Okay, this is, I'm sorry. I've just got to fix this. This is just going to drive me nutty if I don't. We've just, are you able to see what I'm fixing? Sorry. Well, we've just got to fix this or it's just going to really, really drive me crazy bananas. Um, This comes from doing the PowerPoint at weird hours. Okay, 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 okay. We're almost there. We're almost there. All right, all right. So let's go back to here and pick back up where we were. Martha, Martha. You are anxious. Merimnas, you are anxious. Merimnao, excessive care, worry. It's a, it's a loaded word. 
um, in the in in the Bible. It's a it's it's a word of you know it's important that we care about things. That's that's that is important. There are things that we should care about, but there's this point where our cares become excessive, where we worry about things in ways we should not be worried about them. Where it becomes, instead of a healthy concern that moves you to action, a burden that weighs you down. That's where we are here. And and so, you're anxious and you're troubled. Now, the word troubled here is one that... that Think of it like uh, the difference between a calm sea and a sea that's in uproar. You're distracted. You're agitated. You're emotionally disturbed. Your concerns are no longer healthy concerns. And, and Jesus is gently, Martha, Martha, yet clearly putting his finger on the real problem. And the real problem is not what Mary's doing. And the real problem is not what Jesus is letting Mary do. The real problem is that Martha has lost her focus. If we look at this in in the Greek, but one thing is necessary. Oh, go back, go back. You're worried... You're troubled about lots, excessively. One, however, one but is critical. Scripture has a lot to say about worry and anxiety and how it can blow your mind away from what your mind needs to be thinking and doing. I just grabbed a couple of scriptures to throw up here so that we could just see a few of them. This is, this is, uh, this is not something you don't know. These aren't new passages where you say, oh mercy, I never knew that. Um, look at, look at these. I'm just going to give you a quick tour of what Jesus and, and, and the New Testament, well, one out of, I pulled one out of the Old Testament so you didn't think this was new. Alright, come to me, this is Jesus talking, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You say, well that's easy to read, how do I do that? How do I take the heavy burden of worry and concern that I have... And give it to Jesus and get the light burden. I'm all in for the swap. Someone just needs to tell me practically how do I do it. Okay. Let's do that. Let's go to Philippians. Uh, Hold on. Galatians and defeat. I'm going out of order of what I put on the PowerPoint. But y'all aren't seeing the PowerPoint right now anyway. So you don't care. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. I want you to see this with your eyes. 
start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So you're worried? Let's start right there. Lord, show me reasons to rejoice in you. I want to rejoice in you right now while I am sweating bullets about X, Y, Z. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. When we're worried, our tendency is to lash out at times. No. Let your reasonableness, let people see God at work in you. The Lord is at hand. God's not MIA. He's not missing in action. You got worries, you got issues, you got excessive concerns. Find reasons to rejoice and watch how you are living because God's there. So don't be, same word, worried, anxious. Merimnao. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So, okay, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to take my worries away. I'm going to ask God to meet these areas where I have care and concern. And I'm going to thank him for doing it. Boy, I haven't done it yet. I'm going to thank him anyway. That's an act of faith. I am going to know that my God is reliable and my God is going to take care of this. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Remember how he took care of Daniel in the lion's den? Wasn't easy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't burn up in the fiery furnace, but they did go through it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it means that he will be faithful. And even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear because he's with you. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I've tried that before. I've been worried and I took my worries to Jesus and I prayed about them and it felt good for a minute. And then my worries just came crashing back in. That's what your mind is doing. That's the rut of a fallen mind. And sometimes to get out of that rut, you can't just get out of it one time. You've got God renewing your mind, retraining the way your brain thinks to take your worries to him. So you say, well, it only lasted for a minute. Then do it again. Well, if I do that, I'll be praying the whole day long. All right. You take your worries to the foot of the cross and you lay them down before the person who loves you enough to not only die for you, but Paul will tell the Philippians earlier, he loves you enough to come for you. 
he, he didn't come during an era of air conditioning. He didn't come during an era of ice cream. He didn't come when he had access to online chess tournaments. He came at a time that was necessary for you and I, but he left heaven's glory to be made in the likeness of us. And then he grunges around among us and lets us abuse him. He does that because he loves you and cares for you. And so when you take your worries to the foot of the cross and you set them before him, you're setting them before one who's not only on the cross, but is in human form and left all of the glory of heaven because he loves you. And so when he says things like John 14, 27... And you need to see these. You need to to see with your eyes these. That's why I put them up here. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. This is 1 Peter 5, 7. Let's see. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may lift you up. Cast all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. You just give them to Him. Well, what if He fails me? He won't. Well, what if it's still hard? It will be. But you don't do it alone. And I mean, the passages continue. The Jeremiah 17, just so we make sure we include some Old Testament in here. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Start with verse 6. No, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And doesn't fear when the heat comes. Because its leaves remain green. Is not worried in the year of drought. Doesn't cease to bear fruit. Say, yeah, but... but but my heart just is so worried. I, I'm still just, I'm so concerned about things. Look at what he says. He says, uh-huh. And the heart's deceitful above all things. And the heart is desperately sick. And who's going to understand it? It's going to be the Lord. You take your worries to the Lord. And Martha didn't get it. You know, we, we've got, go, go back. Um, well, I've got to move on time wise. The, Jesus says, <laughs> Mary's got it right. She's learning from me. And the wonderful thing about this is God, Jesus, 
instead of just telling Martha, get over it, and, you know, get the baklava out here, instead of that, Jesus teaches Martha. So he's teaching Torah to Mary, and he's teaching equally Torah, the provision of God, to Martha. And it's a wonderful moment of Jesus doing something that society said had no purpose at all. And that's giving the Torah, giving faith, giving instruction to everyone, including those who were outside the typical fence of who at least some prominent Jews thought should be learning Torah. All right, we got to move on or, or, or we'll never get through all of this stuff. So Luke eleven twenty seven through 28, short one here, all right? As Jesus said these things, now Jesus has been, they've challenged Jesus, put this into context, they've challenged Jesus over whether or not he's doing his miracles and casting out demons and stuff because he's really in line with Satan. And Jesus is like, just put that to shame and, and said, absolutely no way. And, and look, you, you sweep out demons and they're just going to come back in mass and all of that. So Jesus says these things. They've had this dialogue. And a woman in the crowd raises her voice and says to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast of which you nursed. Now that was probably an expression uh, at the time. That, that was fairly commonplace. And, and it's her way of saying, oh, you know, amazing blessings because of what you have said, because of who you are. And sees the blessing as an extended blessing to his mom, which the mother in her should do, or the woman in her should do. It also echoes what Luke told us. Luke is the one who has Mary's prayer of blessed will be the mother of Jesus and her name will be called blessed and so there's a prophetic fulfillment of Mary's song here and and that prophecy but when you look at it just from the crowd's perspective you've got a bunch of people and a woman cries out blessed is and Jesus whoops there we go said blessed rather and Jesus said to her, Menun, which, which doesn't typically come at the front of a Greek sentence. So that's, that's unusual Greek. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And it's not that Jesus is shouting her down and saying, you're wrong. He's not. It's, and it's translated here, blessed rather. Uh, that, that uh, word is translated as rather, Menun, but, but it's the idea of, okay, that's good. But, really what we need to be saying is blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, Jesus is taking the praise off of him and off of his mother and off of the genetics that the society and culture would normally see and instead is refocusing the praise. He refocuses the praise. Look at where he focuses it. Jesus says... Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Philoso, uh, uh, philato is uh, guard or keep. 
Blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and, and, and use it. Keep it. Jesus is saying we, we don't look at a blessing as a genetic thing. Oh, blessed are you and the mother who bore you. He said, no, 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 no. This isn't about genes. This is about something brand new. We're reversing this world. The world may say, oh, blessed are you and the mother who bore you. But I'm telling you, the blessing is for anybody who hears the word of God and keeps it. I I look at this simple verse and I just want to keep reading it over and over and over again. Because I want to hear the word of God. And I want to keep it. All three of those are necessary. This, this This is the word of God. This isn't a collection of cool stories. Only. This isn't only a collection of wise ideas. This is God revealing himself to us through the ages in ways that by his spirit have been kept and recorded for us so that we can know him better. So we have direction for our life. So we have an an understanding of our faith so that we better understand who he is and what he's about. So we have things to struggle with and to try to understand. So we have an area to draw our focus as we need wisdom for this world. That's the word of God. Now, I want to hear it. What a treasure. Can you imagine having... Can you imagine... um, I had the honor of performing our sweet Rebecca's wedding earlier this summer, June 11th. And she married Daniel Naveed, a wonderful young man. Now, they're both in their mid-20s. He's in med school. She runs her business. Their life's busy, but they've known each other forever and a day. And Rebecca has on her cell phone, and she played it for me, a message that Daniel left her on her phone in seventh grade. He's still talking like a girl. And it is sweet and hilarious as he's flirting with her in seventh grade. And she still got it on her phone. Over half of her life before that message was left. She treasures that, and rightfully so. I'm sure Becky still got messages I left on her phone when we were in high school. <laughs> well, maybe not. But we frequently will remind each other of things we said on the phone back then. These are the words of God. And and our problem is is 
you can get these anywhere. You can get this free on the internet. We don't understand that just to put this into English costs people their lives. We don't understand that that for over a thousand years, most people had no access to a Bible, never even saw one, much less got to read it. We have the words of God. It's just so ordinary to us that we forget and we need to hear it and we need to keep it. Okay, I, I, I told you I could spend the whole day on that verse, but let's keep moving. So let's move to the fourth passage, Luke thirteen ten through 17. Here's the passage. Now, Jesus is teaching in one of the synagogues on Shabbat. By the way, it's Shabbat, right, in Hebrew, because you start getting ready for our Hebrew stuff, S-H, the Shin letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the S-H, Greek had no S-H sound, couldn't make it. So they would take the S-H and just turn it into an S. So Shabbat becomes Sabbat. Same reason Saul's name, Shaul, becomes Saul. Saul. You can say an S-H. We have an S-H. We can say it. So Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Shabbat, on Shabbat, on Sabbath. Now, a synagogue service, there would be a bima, a platform that, that would hold the chest that had the Torah. And there would be a, a speaker would, well, first of all, someone would come up and typically read from the Torah. And they would have a pointer because you didn't touch it. And they would read from the Torah. They would read from the half Torah. They'd read from the prophets. And then typically, and they'd have prayers. And then typically someone would stand up and teach. And the ruler of the synagogue was responsible for, or ruler of the synagogue, that sounds like, you know, not, not, I mean, just the, the fella in charge of making sure that everything was clean, hunky-dory, and done right, would make sure that someone who was responsible could stand up and have a chance to say something and teach about what had been read. So, Jesus is the one who's doing it this Sunday, or Saturday, Shabbat. He's teaching, uh, whoops, there we go. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. Soon kupto. She, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now this is important. She's an outcast. She's not just a woman. She's a bent woman, bent over at the waist and can't straighten herself. I found another rabbi. This is Rabbi Joshua. (laughs) Rabbi Joshua had this to say in his commentary on Genesis 1.27, which is where God made humans in his image. It says, Rabbi Joshua, son of Rabbi Nehemiah, said... God created humanity with four attributes of the higher beings, i.e. the angels, and four attributes of the lower beings, i.e. the beasts. The four attributes of the higher beings are, number one, we stand upright. 
By the way, the attributes of the lower beasts include procreation and things like that. Um, but the aspects, the four attributes of the higher beings are, number one, we stand upright. That's the first thing that Rabbi Joshua lists as what makes us in the image of God. Because standing upright has so much of a connotation as we still use the word, oh, he's bent to reference the idea of sin. Crooked to reference the idea of sin. Straight up to reference the idea of someone who is reliable and right. We still use those expressions today. But that concept is is one that goes way back. So when Jesus sees the bent woman, he calls her over. Now, she is probably in the women's section. We say probably because we're not totally confident how all of that worked, especially among various different synagogues. We've got Philo who talks about one group of synagogues where it was real clear, you know, the women from the men and all of this mess. But the point is, Jesus, who's up at the front at the Bema, calls this lady who's bent, who's an outcast, not only in the sense that she's a woman and she's got very little business being there and learning Torah. But in addition to that, She's bent. She's not even in the image of God. She's a sinning, crooked, bent woman who's in total outcast on every front. And Jesus calls her to the front? Well, of course Jesus does. Jesus is there to teach. And boy, does he have a lesson to teach. You can teach with words and you can teach with deeds. And watch what Jesus does to this woman whose image of God has been marred. Jesus says, woman, set you free. You are free from your disability. And that, Jesus, Caesar, is where it starts. Jesus, Caesar. She's there. Probably everybody else looks over her. She's a non-entity. But Jesus sees her. You may be in here. You may be watching this online and feel like a non-entity. Um, nobody knows me. Nobody cares. Nobody. Oh, Jesus knows you. He sees you. He sees you with all of your problems, whatever you're bent over. And he calls her out in front of everybody. And he, in front of everybody, he calls her out. And he says to her, woman, you're freed. I mean, that's, this is, she is representing the sin of this world. She doesn't carry the image of God the way we were created to carry. She's bent. She is, she is twisted. She is crooked. And it's all a consequence of the sin of humanity. And she has been, is, is a visual image. She is a walking PowerPoint slide of the power of sin that has bent her. 
that she can't ever seem to get straightened out. Jesus sees her. He calls her out. She's not asking for it. She calls her out. He puts her in front of everybody and does a demonstration of the teaching that God has come to set the captive free. That God has come to reverse the order of this world. That God has come to ransom those who are enslaved. That God has come to set free those who are in bondage. This is what the work of God is. This is the flip. And Jesus is teaching it right there on Shabbat morning. Well, that doesn't go over well. (laughs) Jesus lays his hands on her immediately. She's made straight. She's glorifying God. And we cannot miss this big picture. Sin, the fall, the bondage that's represented by this woman and the work of Christ in releasing her. And we don't want to miss the big picture, but look what happens. The ruler of the synagogue. You know, I let the guy teach. My job's on the line. I'm supposed to make sure that we're teaching right here. And the guy gets up and he starts working on the Sabbath. Indignant because Jesus healed on Shabbat. He says to the people, See, this is the synagogue ruler. He says to the people, he's not chewing Jesus out directly. He's just saying, okay, uh, we've had some heresy happen here this morning. Uh, let me make sure everybody understands the way the law is. There are six days in which work ought to be done. If you want to get healed, you come on one of those six days. Don't come here on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, thank you. Y'all can go home now. We'll have a closing prayer. As he tries, you know, in his indignancy, tries to, I never should have let that Jesus go. You know, his dad was a carpenter. So, the Lord, see, we just shifted from Jesus to the Lord in this narrative. The Lord answered him. You hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away so it can have some water? And you're, you're not failing to have compassion on the Sabbath. You're doing it to an ox. This woman's a daughter of Abraham that Satan has bound for 18 years and she's, he, she is getting loosed from the bond on the Sabbath day. This is the work of God. As Jesus, and as he says these things, all of the adversaries, those who were against him, were put to shame. And all the people are rejoicing at the glorious things that were done by him. And I love this story. I love reading this story through history and what different people have said. Uh, uh, I put up here St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure was 1200s, I think, somewhere around there. Um, Ambrose of Milan had some good stuff to say as well, but I chose St. Bonaventure because I really like this. He wrote of the curve of the soul toward the world and its charms in his commentary and talked about how that's the way we're bent. We're curved. Sin has done this to us where we're curved down to, to the world and its concerns. And Jesus comes to set us free. John Calvin said, 
God's grace doesn't rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is God's special day to save his people. God's not about anything less than restoring life and joy to people. He's, I, I, so many people, uh, what is it to the Billy Joel song? Uh, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. Sinners have much more fun. Bless his heart. He doesn't understand the joy of the Lord. God is about trying to make things better. And his grace doesn't rest on the Sabbath. And it's a marvelous passage. All right. Five unique women's sections. We've got time to do the last one real quick. Um, And this is the one where we're not just looking at the passage, but I have a special challenge for you today out of this passage. So let's throw it up here. There followed him. Now, Jesus has been carrying the cross. And he's going down the Via Della Rosa to Calvary. And the burden becomes too great. And he stumbles and they pick Simon of Serene out of the crowd to carry the cross from there. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, I've put the Greek in two different colors here because I want you to see something. Weep, weep. Weep for me, weep for yourselves. In the Greek, it's written in a chiasm. Jesus spoke in a chiasm. You've got weep and weep is bookends with the for you, or I mean for me and for yourselves in the middle, sandwiched in the middle. So the Greek reads, don't weep for me, but for yourselves weep. And the way Jesus says that and the way Luke writes that draws back then in that day, draws your attention to me and you. And and so you've got this emphasis of, of Jesus saying me and you. And, 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 and there's a, a thrust here that we get because Jesus says the days are coming when they'll say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Things are going to get bad. Things are going to get bad and the, the people will say to the mountains, fall on us, to the hills, cover us. If they do these things when the wood is green, what's going to happen when it's dry? Jesus never, ever pretends that this world is the answer. He works to restore this world, but he recognizes this world bites. It's not even remotely close to what it should be. Masada is around the corner for these people. The destruction of Jerusalem is around the corner for these people. Jesus says, don't weep for me. Jesus is on his road to glory. There's an emphasis here between me and you. 
And you are the ones. Look, you're stuck in the, Jesus is headed to glory. Yeah, the next few hours are going to be truly hell on earth as God turns his back on him. But, but then Jesus is glorified. But Jesus recognizes that the rest of us are still living in a war zone. And while we're in charge under his guidance and power of living our lives to make this world a better place, don't ever be under the pretense that this world is the way God wants it to be. Because it's not. And if you haven't found times of abject misery and destruction where you say, God, let the world end for me because it seems over. Then just wait. But Jesus is going before us with the glory that he promises to give to us. Because he's reversing the world. So here are your points for home. Number one. Quit blaming Jesus for your worries and your problems. It's your fault, Jesus. My sister should be here helping me. You don't care. Don't blame Jesus. Okay. I mean, how often do Well, God's done this to me now. Just hang on, okay? Point for home number two. Replace worry with trust. And that can be a full-time job. But God will liberate you and make this world such a better place if you do for you and then third let's walk in the uprightness of jesus trusting that even in the midst of absolutely cataclysmic pain and misery in this world there is another world coming all right i'll see you guys next sunday let me bless you in the name of jesus and we're off to church father in the name of jesus i ask your blessings on all who hear this message that we will hear the word of the lord and that we will keep it and that you will transform our lives hold us steady father in your care take our worries from us and replace them with faith and awe as we watch your hand work in our lives give mercy to those who are hurting father Give love to those who are lonely, Father. Give strength to those who are weary, Father. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen.